Good morning, and welcome back to Coworking with Iris. Today I'm speaking with Mara Hauser of 25 North Coworking, who has developed a model of coworking for suburban communities. And um, I'm excited about talking with Mara because this is a model that I think people have been trying to crack for a while, actually. Um, I know it's been something that I've discussed um, over many years with my colleagues in the coworking community. And, um, you know, I think a lot of us looked at it and just thought, well, it, it's just not really feasible. How could we do this? Um, and enter 25 North Coworking. And um, Mara is creating neighborhood coworking spaces that are just as vibrant and financially successful as any in the downtown urban cores. So I will bring Mara on now. Hello, Good. nice to meet you. <laughs> so thanks so much for being here with us this morning, Mara. And please tell us what is your coworking story? So, you know, my background is in corporate design and I was designing and creating collaborative spaces all over North America for Fortune 50 companies. And it really occurred to me as changes were happening in the workplace with the five generations in the workforce and the way people were interacting with each other and the way business was shifting where um, there were outside consultants coming in and people were not in the office all the time and how just different things and how people were relating. And it occurs to me that, you know, where are these people going to go work? You know, and really the future of work was not at the corporate level. We were downsizing, shrinking, right-sizing, and bringing multiple locations into one central location, where at the same time um, we were thinking, you know, yes, you can design and create a workplace for 200 employees, but where will these independents go? So that was my idea, was to design and create a workplace for 200 independents that would be as professional of an environment, inspirational, productive, people that maybe worked out but didn't necessarily have a place to go to work that could be this great environment. And of course, since I lived in the suburbs and had a family and kind of tried to do work and travel and try to do it all, could we provide this great space in a suburban community? where people who went to work could be near their families, near their homes, near the schools, near the soccer fields, things like that, you know, and still be around really inspirational people. So that was the foundation of it. Wow. Um, and so when did you launch 25 North? Well, I started um, the concept two years before we opened our doors. So in 2013, we started building our community just to see that this would be something that would work in the suburbs. So. We started having events and did some other you know, activities to really understand what the needs were, did some focus groups and really dug into who was out there and what was happening. And you know, my idea was we wouldn't want to open our doors and have um, an empty 10,000 square foot space. So really we wanted to make sure we had enough people that were really positive and were ready to join and then start looking for space. So in February of 2015, we opened our doors in Geneva, Illinois. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> Congratulations. Thanks. And uh, how's it been since, since you opened? <laughs> so great. We have expanded. We currently, um, we started with 10,000 square feet. Before we opened our doors, we had sold out of our private offices and we soon thereafter had to convert a couple of meeting rooms into private team rooms, which is really a great thing. Um, and then we've also gotten some other new teams and we grew out of our building. So two blocks away, we have started a new kind of Geneva campus and we have teams over there. So right now we're about 17,000 square feet in Geneva. So we're really excited about that. 
and um, we are getting ready to actually open our doors in October, November in Arlington Heights, which is another northwest suburb. And we'll be taking on 12,000 square feet there. And many of the teams and groups that work at, at Geneva have uh, co-workers that are in the northwest suburbs and have already are signing up for pre-sales in our Arlington Heights location. So we're really excited what that opportunity could be. Wow, that's that's wonderful, and congratulations. Um, I am uh, really fascinated both by your model and also when I first um, when I first met your partner Megan, and we first talked. One of the things that really um, struck me about how you went about intentionally building both the community and the business model was that you uh, you worked in you know in those two years before you actually launched. You worked for um, for a long time to develop systems that you could use to apply to the operations, um, so that as you scaled and grew, um, you know you had really a good foundation for doing so. I think this is something that most co-working spaces should do, even if you never plan to scale or grow. You should really document your your processes and your systems. It makes everything work more smoothly. It also makes um, training and hiring. A much smoother process for everyone involved. Right. Uh, Mara, tell me how you went about doing so when you didn't necessarily know. Um, you know, I know you did probably did a lot of study, but you didn't necessarily know what it actually took to run a co-working space. So I just kind of used my uh, design and project management background to help come up with what the process procedure would be in standards. So as we were designing and creating spaces, like I said, all over North America in my previous life. We had templates and standards and multiple projects at one time. How do we go about that? So we had a process and an outline of how we did everything. So one of the big things I wanted to make sure that we did was when we started scaling, um, and when I built my business plan, it was not to have one location. You know, Geneva was designed to be a prototype, and we were going to have multiple locations within a short period of time. So how do you do that and how do you do that so that you could, like me as the founder or CEO, could be focused on growth and sales and um, new opportunities and really developing the community outside of just the coworkers. You know, we really built this on a foundation of economic development in three levels. One would be build, helping to build the businesses for the members who came to work here. Second would be to help utilize the local community businesses and help them grow by you know, working with our members and being there in the neighborhood. And third is kind of the economic development of the community we're in, like, you know, Geneva, the Fox River Valley area. How do we help build that as a mecca for small business and entrepreneurs? So in order to do that, we wanted to make sure that we not only had, you know, all the five things that co-working has, but that we really created an environment where we knew we were going to have events. What would the events look like? When would we have them? How would they be played on the calendar to kind of simplify that process, but make it so it was easy for everyone to understand? Oh, the first Thursday of the month, they have you know member networking breakfast. Oh, the third Tuesday of the month, they do this event. You know, just kind of making those things standardized. But everything from doing a tour to um, you know, because I just thought, well, I can't be there all the time, and you know, Megan can't be here all the time. So how do we make sure that when we answer the phone, what are we saying? When we give a tour, what are we saying? When we take an order in, you know, what do the purchase orders look like or the sales orders for different kinds of membership? You know, the terms and conditions and like when we book a meeting room, how do you book it? What do you do in the meeting room? The cleanup after. And then we created what we call, it's kind of interesting too because I think I combined some of my other 
previous background, I actually, when I was in college, was a manager on duty of a local Hilton corporation. So we would, you know, hospitality is all about what co-working is. And I designed actually several hotel and hospitality projects in my design world. But it was all about, you know, doing sweeps. You know, when people walk in the door, we want to make sure that for every single tour, it looks just as good, you know, before a meeting or after a meeting or that at two o'clock in the afternoon versus 10 o'clock in the morning, it's always the same. Mm -hmm. So created a sweep list, you know, so a checklist so that when you go through the space, you always are checking all these different things. And the supply list, okay, how many do we need to have paper towels? When do we need to order those? So lots of just different tools that when we can't, could bring new people in to train them or no matter who was there, we created the same experience for any potential new member or member in the space. Right. Kind of As, yeah, and, and that experience is the same for the employees as well, which you know, set the tone. And if, if the employees don't have the same experience, um, it's hard for them to provide the same experience to your members. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm just, I'm really struck um, and, and impressed that you, really what you did is applied your design thinking to the experience that your members would have. And you, you know, in designing that member experience, um, you know, are providing consistency to both your members um, who've been there with you since the beginning and to any new member that walks in the door customer or, or uh, excuse me, guest or client. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I talk to my clients about this on a regular basis. You know, the, the lists that you created, um, I think those are some things that it, it, might, it might take people years to really understand that that's what they need to do to solve their own workflow problems, but also to make sure that, um, you know, running out of toilet paper or coffee or half and half doesn't happen in the middle of the day. Yeah. Um, so the other thing too is in the suburbs, you know, people have lots of choices where they can work and, you know, everyone can work in their homes and people have really nice homes or, you know, they've set aside, some are, some aren't, you know, and, but they have that choice. So what kind of an experience are we going to provide for them when they choose to work here? So we want to make sure that it's a better experience than they could have at home or at the coffee shop or at the library or, you know, other resources that they could go to. We just want to make sure that it's the right experience. So. That sets the culture and the tone of our community, but it also, they know what to expect, whether they bring a guest in or they're coming in with new people that might not have been there before. So that's really important to us too. Yeah. So you mentioned um, offices and kind of the, the, the need to be flexible in converting offices and, and conference room space. What are some of the other um, systems that you had in place or expectations that you have that um, you wrote into your plan or you wrote into your operational plan that changed once you actually started applying them or, or really entered into managing the community in the space? Right, well, um, co-working was such a new concept in the suburbs and I still think it is. People, you know, we had to build awareness of what co-working was. Mm -hmm. So that was a really big thing. And then of course, when people work out of their homes, you know, they're not used to paying for services or spaces. So there's a fine line between between you know what they can pay or what you know the value is that they pay until they see this could be a big revenue driver for me or I'll be able to do better in my business you know how do you shift from basically what benefits are you know what what features you have to like what the opportunity is so really kind of that was a big shift in us you know when do you switch from saying these are the features and benefits of the space to oh these are the opportunities that happen when you're in our space and this is why they have this cost structure. So that was one key transition. 
The other one was we, um, our meeting room spaces, we did reduce the cost for them, but we also bundled them into our time slots. So we never, we would sell the hour or half day, but no one ever finished a meeting in exactly one hour. You know, get in the door, get out of the door. And the cost for that. So for us, we're like, you know, they're not in and out, and how do we really rationalize that to make it affordable enough? Make Obviously, we need to make money at it, but also to make it the right price. So we started bundling them in two-hour time frame, and that, that was a really good um, thing that we did, and our meeting rooms took off. The other thing that's really hard is I think in the suburbs, people didn't really get, you know, about paying for a meeting room or what the meeting rooms would look like. So until we opened our doors and people could tour our spaces and see the quality of the meeting room and the services we provide with our meeting rooms, you know, so that just took a little bit longer to uh, kick in. And the other thing that happened was we were expecting and projecting a lot of day passes, and that's almost non-existent. You people are either using punch cards or monthlies, but people just don't think, you know, don't just come in for a day. That's a very rare thing for us. So. You know, you, you can do all this research. You can, you know, see what other co-working spaces are doing, but there are definite differences in the suburban community. Absolutely, and there are differences um, in every model. I, I one of the things I love about co-working is, for mm -hmm. however many spaces there are out there nowadays, ten thousand I think across the world, <clears throat> that's really close to ten thousand different business models and. Um, and you know, of course, that's that's partially because of the grassroots grassroots movement aspect of co-working. Um, and I also think it's due to um, meeting the needs of the local community and local population where we are opening our spaces. Yeah. <clears throat> so, Mora, I'm curious about the challenges um, that you see as a suburban space that you think might unique unique. I know you talked about market education. <clears throat> I think there's probably quite a few people in, in co-working spaces and in any type of a, um, of a uh, locale that can relate to the, the need for market education. If co-working isn't something that you know about in your locale, then you do have to educate the market. But what other challenges did you see as a suburban space? Well, I think the real estate community was, you know, pretty much um, not surprised, but they were not our friends at the beginning, you know, and I can't say that they're totally our friends now, but in the suburban uh, world of real estate, there's a lot of single offices. So we were kind of competing for some of the same things. Um, although we, all of us coworkers know that, you know, getting a regular office by yourself, you know, is very different than a coworking experience. But they, you know, they too are interested in someone coming in and renting a single office because they have these buildings set up for that here. Mm -hmm. um, but the problem is they're not short-term leases and they're not flexible and you can't, you know, come and go and do different, you know, you don't have the other benefits of the other um, amenities that might go with co-working. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, we don't really have a, a lot of real estate people doing tours or introducing co-working to their clients per se, if this would be the right fit. And um, we got, we were hard, it was hard to find a space because they were not eager to have us move in and, you know, take over some of their space. So that was a, a challenge. Yeah, I can see that. That makes right. a lot of sense. Um, in terms of your member demographics, um, take us through just a quick kind of showcase of what they look like, who your members are, ages and everything. Yeah, I mean, first female, male, we have 49% female and 51% male. So that is very unusual from what I understand. <laughs> 
but I think it's great. You know, obviously, you know, Megan and I are female, and um, you know, I've had my own business for a long time. But I don't know that you know that's as empowering as being in the suburbs is giving a lot of women the opportunity to be mom and be around as as there are you know men as well. But it's kind of nice to have something close, and so where we have flexibility where you can come and go with our punch card or the 24 seven. You know, we have a lot of people, men and women who are either home with their kids or not, but they can go to a school, they can, you know, come in and do their work and get out of the house and not have to worry about the laundry and those other things. I think that's, you know, a really big thing here for us. And so we have a great group of really powerful, wonderful, successful women business owners here. And that's fabulous. Um, the other thing is we have uh, all five generations. You know, we had a gentleman who started um, a company right out of high school and he was going to community college and he came in and took space. So he's, you know, early, like 19, he's under 20 years old. And then we have some retired uh, people who, men and women, who use our space to be still centered around and mentor entrepreneurs or doing some sort of um, consulting work that they use our space. So we have all five generations. I think, you know, the biggest group we have is probably in the 40s, but, you know, we do touch all five, which is really, I, I love that. That's, we really are exactly like what the town is like. Um, wow. Other than that, you know, we, we have, the great thing is, you know, we're in the central business district of Geneva, and that's kind of our plan. It's great because, you know, sometimes the kids will come by and visit and pick up mom or dad to go to lunch or... You know, there's a lot of got to run to a soccer game and then come back later and do some work, you know, just like maybe I would do with my daughter. But it's really nice to have, you know, the in and out and lots of people around and, and be around people that are doing what you do that you might have seen on a sideline of a soccer game or seen at school, but you didn't really know about their business. And now they have this new love place where they can come and, and help each other with their business part. Yeah, that's awesome. And... Um, I'm struck by the the community that can form too around parents in um, you know parents who, as you mentioned, may see each other on the soccer field or may see each other in you know the school pickup line or the school drop off line, but not have the opportunity to connect. Um, and how wonderful that is! I'm also curious um, <clears throat> about the seasonality of your uh, um, of your member participation in the community. Do you notice a drop off during vacation seasons, you know, winter, spring and uh, in summer? But it's so funny. Well, we thought the summers would be really hard, but literally the first day school is out. People are like in hordes with their got to get out of the house. They're home, you know. So um, I think we follow a lot of some of the same averages as co-working. Like, for example, I think the average co-worker still comes here about three and a half days a week, which is pretty typical from what I understand, three to four. You know, our private office people are here every day, but you know we get the sampling of people coming in and out. Um, I'm not sure that answered the question, but you know, spring break, we're in Geneva. Geneva spring break, it's it's a little bit slow that week, um, but at the same time, those people that don't go away, their kids are home, so they're coming here. <laughs> so I can't say it's really you know has any effect with the seasons. I think more temperature. If it's a big rainstorm, people aren't coming out. You know, or a big snowstorm or really freezing cold, it's hard to get out of your house in Chicago. So I would say that is something, you know, more or less. So we make it warm and toasty and I'll send some social media. It's warm and, you know, it's warm and cozy inside. You know, I've done that a couple times. So we also have a patio. Um, we have an indoor-outdoor space, which is really great. And 
people will co-work out there and they eat lunch or have meetings on our patio. So the minute that we get the furniture out, and actually there, we had our members going, when is the furniture coming out? It's time, it's time. We can go to the basement, we can pull it out, you know. So it's definitely an advantage and people look forward to doing, you know, having coming to a place where they can be indoor, outdoor, visit within the community, their friends or neighbors or family, whatever, and still get their work done. Wow, that's awesome. I love, I love, I love, I love to have outside access. Um, it's really helpful. Yeah. So you're a civic volunteer in your community. I've read, um, you know, that you you do a fair amount of work um, and 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 helping uh, your community to uh, prosper and to thrive and to be a healthy place for people to live. Um, how has this influenced your work with the 25 North community or your brand in general? Well, I just think it's always good, you know, whether you work at a big company and you have, um, you know, special projects that you work for, special organizations that are really important to the community and help outside of that, you know, that's just something that a lot of companies do. So, you know, we're not a company necessarily, but we're a lot of co-workers. So what is it if we have any shared opportunities or shared needs that we can support that? So a couple of things we've done in the past, like Tri-City Family Services is a group that helps families in need. And so... Last year around the holidays, we adopted a family. We adopted the largest family that they had to offer. I think they had five or six kids and three adults in the family. And so we just took the list. We have a big blackboard in our production room, which is where the copier and the scanners, we just put up on the list everything that the family needed. And people just signed up for what they could do. And then we had a big wrapping party and tagged everything and brought over, filled my the whole trunk of my armada two times to bring over lots of great things. We also, around Thanksgiving, went over to the food bank and packaged a bunch of food. Um, so that was just a fun project. A couple members of our space were very tied to that, so they just threw together, like, let's do this, you know, on this day. And everyone signed up and brought family and friends, and that was really great. Uh, we also support uh, King County CASA, which CASA is court-appointed special advocates. For, so for children in need um, that are either taken out of their homes or, you know, in special circumstances. A lot of times they're taken out just by themselves and they have nothing, no clothes on their back, no toys. They could be infants all the way up to, I think it's 18 or 19 years old. And so there's a big need that when the advocates are assigned from the court a uh, child, they don't have anything. So we've been working very closely with CASA. They do their advocacy training in our space. Um, they use our space for that. We've worked um, through their auctions and other fundraisers that we did but when we heard about this, Megan and I went over and met with the CASA team that they needed suitcases and they needed backpacks and they needed other things. And the advocates can't go use their own money and purchase things, so they need take they use gift cards. So we decided that it, we could just do a campaign through September. You know, instead of back to school backpacks, we'll just do this so that they are set up for the year for whatever kid they might get. So we are getting um, empty has to have tags on it, have to be new, whether they're backpacks or diaper bags and then we're collecting gift cards. And there's a suggested list of gift cards for any dollar amount. And then the advocates can take those and actually go shopping for whatever they need. So it's it's great, you know, it's just, the, it's something that we could do to help a local community organization and help the kids. And, you know, when you're out there shopping for school supplies, just grab another backpack, you know, grab a gift card from Target, something like that. And everyone is just really excited to try to help how they can. That's. So wonderful, and um, I'm really 
impressed at how well you've harnessed the power of um, your community uh, and the hearts and minds of your community in doing so and really created a force for good. Um, I love CASA and um, have considered volunteering myself for CASA mm -hmm. in the past. Um, so I just love that you're doing that. And so you've, you've launched 25 North Cares. Right, um, so this, this is the, what we decided, we, we have a couple of programs. We have a pitch and catch, which is a business pitch uh, thing that we do the third Tuesday of the month. And we have different brands that we've carried along. So we, since we've done, this is our third project that we've done since we've been open for not even two years. So our idea was, let's call it something. So we came up with the campaign, 25 North Cares. And so that's the foundation of it. And right now our particular project is these CASA, you know, bags and helping uh, suitcase, we call it the suitcase program. And then of course in the holidays, you know, we'll do something else, but it'll all be part of what our 25 North cares because we do, we, we care about our community. Right. Yeah. That's wonderful. Um, do you have resources you can point to where if other communities would like to uh, launch different programs similar to yours, that you looked to uh, programs outside in the community or, or sort of a model for how to do so within a community? Um, I just think it's really listening and talking to your members. You know, everyone's involved. I mean, most, a lot of people are involved in volunteer organizations and what is that, you know, I volunteer for the National Association of Women Business Owners. I'm actually on a board of a Center for Business Enterprise Engagement and Development. So this is a group of businesses who are there to mentor and kind of coach uh, startups and actually some new businesses as well. So that's kind of my passion is mentoring and helping small businesses. But others, you know, the CASA is a great idea and a great program. We have a couple advocates that are members of our space. Huh. And so that was kind of where that came from. You know, we have, um, a couple members who, like I said, do this food bank all the time. And actually my family has adopted a family from Tri-City Family Services um, for about 10 years now. So kind of just understanding, you know, what's out there and what the needs are to help our community. But I think if any member came with an idea, we always, you know, listen to it. And we have a place on our calendar board. So we have the monthly events on calendar. If you go to our website, you can see our calendar. But on the left side, members can put up their events or programs they're doing. And on the right side are local community events and things that are happening. So we encourage the non-for-profits in the area to, you know, help tell us what their needs are and we'll try to see what we can pull together. Wow. I love that you, um, your answer to my question was effectively it's member driven. Um, yeah. And that is, that's so true. And, um, and I really appreciate that you allow your members to really, uh, you know, choose what, makes sense for them and what their passions are around um, and then have a community rally around that uh, because that's obviously more authentic but people will do more when they feel passion more passionate about something so that's wonderful one of the other things that i think helps our community stay connected to each other is we use slack that's one of our tools that we use to communicate with each other and on slack slackapp.com it's a great tool if any of you you know are interested in uh, team building, but within a community of independence, but you can have different channels. So we actually have a resource channel. We have a collaboration channel. We have different things in, and the uh, collaboration or resource channel is where other people put events that are happening or, you know, this is happening. The Rotary is doing this this month. If you guys wanted to help, you know, you could do that. So that's the thing that everyone individually as a member can add 
on their own to our whole community at large. When they have an idea about a program where we see that there's a need for something, we want to roll that out in the larger campaign, now under 25 North Cares, then we take that under consideration and really get the idea of what everyone would really like to do. So we want yeah. each one to be successful, of course. So Great. And nice plug for Slack. I love Slack. <laughs> it's a great tool. Yeah. Um, wonderful. Well, what's next for you? <laughs> so much. Well, you know, Arlington Heights is number two, and we're talking to some other communities about the other future 25 Norths. So we have a lot, you know, goal, high goals and aspirations, but really just, you know, being successful in each community just really means that each business is doing really well here that when they come to work here. So that's the most important thing for us. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, Mara, it's been lovely talking with you today. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for inviting me, Iris. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks again for joining us for an episode of Coworking with Iris. And next Friday, I'll be talking with Rebecca Brian Pan, uh, who is also a mother, also a serial entrepreneur, also a designer who opened a couple of co-working spaces and has just launched Kovo with her husband and her brother in San Francisco. It's a really fun model uh, with a cafe and um, kind of a speakeasy. Uh, along with co-working, huge, beautifully designed space, and I'm really excited to welcome Rebecca and talk about life as an entrepreneur, mom, and um, community manager. Join us next week. Thank you. <laughs>